Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Small doses. Self-help from the hip. Small doses. We're talking that shit. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small doses. With me and Nancy Seals. So funky. <laughs> you know what that is, right? That is the tune of Raul Jamon Duandi's <laughs> Game of Thrones. Yes, by the time you hear this episode, the final culminating season of Game of Thrones will have begun. In other words, winter has come. But I wanted to record this before then for a number of reasons. I mean, the most important being, I don't want to accidentally give you spoilers. The anticipation is the other reason. I want you to hear it in my soul. I want you to ride the waves of my positively uh, fueled anxiousness at what is going to happen. What are D.B. Weiss and crew going to come up with? How are they going to end this massively successful global phenomenon of a show? At one point in watching the rewatch, uh, the after the throne after the show uh, commentary, it's there is a statement that says, "I, <laughs> I know you've watched thirty seven hours of Game of Thrones by now, and you're like, oh, I, I have." And at first you're like, "Did I?" And then you're like, "I did." You're proud of yourself because thirty seven hours of Game of Thrones. And you're like, I can't think of a bad episode. That's incredible. And it's a testament to why this show has become such an like ingrained part of our pop culture. I have so much Game of Thrones in my house and in my life. And you're just like, why? Why? Why does it matter? And that is what today's episode is about. Today's episode is a dedication to Game of Thrones and the ways, whys, and whats of how it has managed to become such an integral part of so many of our lives and how we can continue to enjoy it long after winter has come and gone. Let's get into it. Our watch begins. I will be the first to admit that I was not all about Game of Thrones from the beginning. I know there are people who like already knew what's up because they had already read the books. So when it came to HBO, they were ready and they were on it. I honestly was a bit like, what is this? It just seemed to me like some type of medieval show. And it was like, oh, it's going to be just a bunch of white people running around with swords. Like, whatever. I can catch that anytime. And don't get me wrong. Like, I love watching a bunch of white people running around with swords. I mean, Braveheart, you know, good old Robin of Loxley. I mean, that is you know, an important part of my past. I mean, I literally am, like, seeing Braveheart, like, scenes run through my head right now. I have the word Braveheart in French on my middle finger on my left hand because my mother calls me Braveheart because of my courageousness. But it was just, like, it didn't didn't seem, like, like immediate, like I needed to watch it. And so I didn't really give it any attention until a friend of mine at the time was like, you know, you should really watch Game of Thrones. And I was like, whatever. Whatever. I mean, I mean, to be, and also this was also, I feel like HBO was just now coming into like the high level of, of respect that it's now gained where like, and I think Game of Thrones has actually been a part of how HBO has elevated to this like supreme level of quality where like you just kind of give any show on HBO a shot just out of respect for your, like, I mean, they rarely do it wrong. I feel like FX is the same way. Like, FX rarely misses the mark on shows. So, like, you may watch something and it may not be your cup of tea, but you're like, I mean, it's still a good show, though. So, HBO, to, for, for me, had not reached that point yet. And so, I, again, wasn't pressed. I was not pressed until 
My friend said, you know, there's dragons. Uh, pardonnez-moi. He said, there's dragons. This changed everything for me. Because now we're not just talking about people running around with swords. Because the medieval era is, like, so whack. Dar the Dark Ages, like, you know, we've just seen so many narratives in that time frame that, like... I, and I, I love period pieces, but it was just like, what story are they telling here? Is this going to be King Arthur? Like, there's a certain redundancy with that that I just felt like wasn't really interesting. Once it was brought to my attention uh, that there wasn't just a dragon. There were three dragons. Okay? Drogon, Viserys, and Rhaegar. I said, okay, now we're talking about something different because now what's happening is magic. Because where there are dragons, there is magic. I mean, that's just kind of like a rule of thumb with fantasy. Um, and once that was put into the mix of things, I just, I just, I switched up, y'all. I definitely changed my tune, and I ran with a swiftness down the King's Road to watch Game of Thrones, and I've been hooked ever since. I watched season one in a matter of days, and then season two began. And anybody who has watched Game of Thrones knows that that's when things took off. And, like, if you're listening to this episode right now and you don't watch Game of Thrones, I'm trying my best not to give you spoilers. But it's also, like, you know, seven years old. So <laughs> it's kind of, like, on you. And at this point, I hope any spoilers are more so things that intrigue you to want to watch the show. Because, really... What, what's missing from the books, because I've read the books, what's missing from the books that the show does, and this is a rare thing that happens, is the show brings emotion into the story where the books don't have it. The books are historical accounts of Westeros for all intents and purposes. It's literally as if a maester... What's, what's a, a maester? maester? A maester is a trained... Um, a trained learned man of the Citadel in Westeros who basically serves as like a historian, as the, the doctor, as the advisor to the lords and ladies of Westeros. And they will be usually like assigned to a castle. So like, for instance, the, at Winterfell for the Starks, it was Maester Lewin. And then for the Night's Watch, it's Maester Iman. And it's like, this story that George R. R. Martin wrote is essentially just like a maester's retelling of this whole thing. And it doesn't have the emotion. So when you watch the show, what they've so expertly done is given these characters more than just action to complete, but actual desires behind their action. And it allows you to connect with them in a way that you just become so involved and engrossed in this world that literally has no love for nobody. nobody. We'll get to the Red Wedding later. But that is how I found myself involved with Game of Thrones. And um, it brings me so much joy. And it is so dark, but yet brings me so much joy because it really is done, the show is done with such care <laughs> and meticulousness. It's like Disney level. You ever been to a Disney theme park? Everything is detailed. The trash cans, the toilet paper. I feel like the toilet paper holders are even like, oh, no, this ain't just a toilet paper holder. That's Dumbo's trunk. Shit like that. So if you have not started watching Game of Thrones, it's never too late. Look at me. I stepped in at season two, and here I am now. I swear by the old gods and the new. One of the best decisions I've ever made. What is fascinating about Game of Thrones? What's fascinating about Game of Thrones is how complex this world is that George R.R. Mountain... Mountain. Look at that. George R.R. Mountain. <laughs> Shout out to the Hound and Gregor Clegane. Sander and Gregor Clegane are characters in Game of Thrones. One is called the Hound, one is called the Mountain. 
But I digress. George R.R. R. Martin has created this world that is so complex with so many characters, so many storylines, and there's so much going on, and yet you're somehow not dissuaded from trying to keep up with it. Now, I know that I've definitely watched stuff where I'm just like, I don't even know what's happening anymore. I'm not interested. No. Somehow the show and the books, like it just keeps you still connected even though they keep introducing new characters they keep introducing new themes they keep introducing new concepts new traditions you know all of the houses of westeros are respected for their different um ways of handling things and then you know in in the mythology you really just become if you especially if you love fantasy you just become immersed in wanting to know everything about how this all works how this all connects and aligns and he's stuck to it and i think that's what's so fascinating is that he's created a world and he's created rules and he sticks to the rules and if anybody on here listens or watches fantasy they know that that is an integral part of the actual genre making sense that a world has been created and there's rules in that world and so that as the reader and as the viewer is how you are able to still Suspend disbelief and be connected into this space that is so far from your own reality. This is why, like, this new uh, Fantastic Beast series is so whack because it really div- it just diverges so much from the world that J.K. Rowling created with the Harry Potter series that it makes you feel like you are no longer a part of something that is legit because you you're, it takes you into your own reality. So when you are watching it and it doesn't make sense, you pop out of the fantasy. And that's no fun. You want to be immersed in the fantasy. You want it to be on all sides. You want to literally be able to look forward and backwards in the story, look above and below in the story, and look to your left and your right in the story and have all of it make sense because you can see due to the way that they've crafted the story, the way that they've crafted the characters, and the way that they have crafted the world, you're able to see in your mind's eye a 360 view a Google Maps vision of what it is because they have essentially created a matrix. That's essentially what they've done. They've literally drawn a matrix with their writing that is a world that you live in now. There is no spoon, but you're cool with that because you're like, it's fine. I don't need a spoon. I have long claw. But um, Game of Thrones has no black people. You are correct. Now, here's the thing. Game of Thrones does have brown people, and there is, like, two black people in Game of Thrones. One of them is a bitch-ass dude on Karth, and the other one is a pirate. So we're not really in uh, great numbers, I will say that. Then you have Missandei. She's black, but she's from Narth. She was a slave. Then you have Grey Worm. He's black, but not in the same black of like Karth, the the dude from Karth and the pirate. Grey Worm is a part of the Unsullied. The Unsullied is an army created from slave boys that have been stolen from their home, castrated, and made to become fighters. Yeah. It's not a show for the lighthearted. But the reason why I say like, okay, they're black, but we don't know how black they are is because they come from places where like there's all different kinds of folks that you're you're not really sure like are they... Are they like African black? Like, is there, like, you're just, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's a fake world, Amanda. I don't know why you're trying to connect it to your world. But the reality is that a lot of times with white fantasy writers, black people don't exist in their fantasy. I don't even know if we exist in their reality because I went to speak at a conference recently with hundreds of people and I was the only black person there. And I was like, wow, we're not in Europe. We're in America, but this is how y'all live. Black people really are just something you see on TV or something you hear on the radio. We really are like these almost abstract concepts to you because you don't see us. You don't have to deal with us. You don't have to be informed of us in your daily life. You can literally just go on in your life without having to give a fuck about black people or anybody else outside of white people for that matter. Because for the record, I was the only person of color there. It wasn't that I was just the only black person. I was the only person of color there. Now, 
in contrast, people of color, especially in America, like we have to care about, you know, what white people are doing all the time. Because like if you have your phone out, you're probably calling the cops on us for just recording this damn podcast. There could be someone walking by my window right now looking in like, <gasps> they're recording. What? She has a microphone. She could be starting a revolution. I hope so. So in watching Game of Thrones, I've had people say to me like, oh, I don't watch Game of Thrones because there's no black people. I don't want to watch that because there's no black people. Just like I've had people say they don't watch Handmaid's Tale because there's no black people. I'm like, well, I mean, if there's if you're really looking for incentive to watch Handmaid's Tale and you're like, you know, I need to have something like that really like connects to me. It's like, well, basically Handmaid's Tale is a show about what would happen to white women if they were treated like every other race of women have been treated throughout history. So if you're sadistic enough to make that be the reason, go for it. But it really is a great show. And it's like Game of Thrones. It really is a great show. Now, I'm one of the most uh, black and proud black nationalist individuals that you've ever met. And yet, at the end of the day, it's like, but also, good shit is good shit. Okay? Good shit is good shit. You can't argue that. And then there's the reality that in some worlds, I don't even want us there. Okay? When I watch Ozark and they ain't no black people, I don't feel like we're left out. I'm like, oh, no, that's cool. We don't need to be in the mix of this. This ain't our lane. And that's really how I feel about much of what happens on Game of Thrones. I'm like, this is a world that is so ruthless, that is so heartless, that is so based in just like greed and muscle over humanity over love like i don't want us in this world i don't want to see us behaving like these folks are in this world so y'all can have that and it just becomes more like just voyeurism to a certain extent but it's really just like on a other level don't deprive yourself of great art because of like limitations that are rooted in political realities that don't serve the actual story being told. Like friends is like, you have to exercise cognitive dissonance because you're like, well, I mean, how could they be in New York and not have black people on the show until you live in New York and you meet white girls that don't have black friends. You know, you're watching the movie, the show girls on HBO. You're like, how do they just not have any black people around them? Have you been to Williamsburg? Have you been? Because they flush them out. All the black people are in Bushwick. So it's just like these are like scenarios that can happen. And sometimes it's like I get it where you're like, I don't, don't want to watch, watch that because it doesn't relate to me. I don't relate to it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like it doesn't relate to you. It doesn't interest you. Fair enough. But if you love fantasy and you love a good story and you really just are about checking out something that is done exquisitely well give Game of Thrones a shot black people or not because there may not be black people but there are many who are forced to take the black that show is so extreme it's like hella sex hella violence and then dragons correct so Game of Thrones is a world that has, like, no middle ground. Like, there's no, like, happy mediums in Game of Thrones. It's like you're either dead or alive. Nice. Um, you're either dead or you're killing people. And it just feels like everything that happens happens to the full tilt. Like, you can't just have sex. You got to have sex with your sister in the sept next to your dead son. Like, you can't just get killed. You have to have your skull squished to death by a giant man that you've just poisoned and taunted who also killed your sister and her two kids. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, there's, like, so many levels, and it can just feel like, how do you manage this level of extreme? How do you manage something that is so just, like, on full tilt at all times? And it's like, how do you manage it? You just got to fucking go with it, bro. You just got to ride that goddamn wave, all right? Safe for pussies. But then you also got to appreciate it. And you appreciate that it's on HBO so they can take it there. It can be gruesome. And it can be horrific. And it can be tragic. 
But then it also has like these ways of being just like endearing and inspiring and admirable. And what I really appreciate is that until season seven, they were able to do that in ways that were simply just not cheesy. They were able to do it in ways that were like really organic and that like turned corners that you didn't consider them ever being willing to turn. And it wasn't until season seven where they started writing for the fans. Season seven literally feels like they were just scrolling through Reddit and that's how they did their writers meeting. Um, They were in the writers room like, what can we write about now? And they were like, let's go on Reddit. It's because George R.R. Martin only wrote a certain amount of books and then they've been going on their own story since then with the knowledge of how it's supposed to end. So I feel like season seven was them realizing like, oh shit, we better speed this shit up because we got to get to the ending that George R.R. R. Martin has already created in his mind, even if he hasn't written it on paper. Not That being said, I, I still doesn't excuse the writing being trash. And you know that it's trash because that extreme world that we've lived in up until season seven suddenly becomes like hella charming, yo. Soft. Season seven, do you understand we only had one death? Do you even know who the death was? I'm talking to, I'm talking to Rebecca. Thorough Submer. And you're like, who the fuck is that? Exactly. Exactly. Who the fuck is that? The fact that there was nobody of like real actual like value that died in the first half of season seven. Because remember, this new season that has just premiered is actually going to be the second half of the season seven. So, I mean, I have an issue with that because that extreme world that was created for all these seasons, I got used to that, man. I got used to it. And I think I'm very similar. Like, I am an extreme person. Like, I go to the full tilt. Rebecca, Rebecca don't make, make that, that face. <laughs> and, you know, it's like something I've been working on in my life was trying to just pause before I, like, go to the fury. But then you watch Game of Thrones. There's no pause. It's like, you, you said, said what? what? Please step step aside or there will be violence. I choose violence. Like that's what happens. And next thing you know, the mountain picks up one of the sparrows and legit throws him across a courtyard by his head. And now y'all got one less homeboy today. So I think the extreme of the, the sex is something that has gotten a lot of people kind of like, fucked up with i know there was a scene with sansa in season six where people were really upset about them feeling like she shouldn't have been forced to be raped by her husband on her wedding night i watched the episode again and i'm like this is the world of game of thrones like stop we have to remember like there's certain shit that is just real. Like, I feel like there's actual shit that goes on in the hood that, like, if it was put on TV, people would gripe about and be like, oh, my God, that is horrible. You know, that that was unnecessary. And it's like, okay, but this is a depiction of, like, what really is. So, like, at this point in season six of a fantasy show, this is a world that's, like, completely established. Even though it's a fake world, it's completely established. And so it is not far-fetched that fucking Ramsey goddamn Bolton would put Sansa Stark through a trash-ass honeymoon night. Like that makes Would you like to speak Rebecca? Please I didn't understand why people are upset about that either Because It wasn't even on camera This is a man who cut off another man's dick And sent it to his And sent it to his Sister sister. and dad Like he's the worst He's the most evil person on the show If you think he's going to get married and not rape her You're stupid He literally hunts people He he literally flays people alive That's their sigil (laughs) their fucking sigil is the flayed man people were upset in that scene not just that she got raped they were upset that the camera panned away from Sansa and focused on Theon's face because it took agency away from whatever you want to watch that girl get raped I would rather watch someone's reaction face than watch someone actually get raped that's psychotic people are wild and crazy kids and you know we talk about that all the time because there's the same people who talk shit about me and The reality is that, like, people just want things to, like, make sense for their own comfort level. Just don't fucking watch the show. Because if they had done it any different on the show, I would have been pissed that they had, like, strayed from what these characters would actually do. Do they think Ramsay Bolton is going to, like, put rose petals on the bed and, like, give her, like, a sensual night of lovemaking? Do you think Ramsay Bolton is going to finger her to make sure that she's (laughs) wet enough to put his dick in? Absolutely not. No. 
He's not even going to give her the, 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 he's not even going to give her the respect of a proper priming. Absolutely not. So like, I felt like it was actually more horrific that they panned to Theon because now she like, we're like, okay, this was already bad enough. And then now you have the person who killed her brothers. Cause at that point she still thinks he killed Brandon Rickon who killed her brothers is now being forced to watch her get rich. What? You're just like watching his guilt compounded on his face. Like it's better that way. Why would you want to watch Sansa's face? I just didn't understand like the ways in which, and you know what, what actually really annoyed me about that is that it's this, it's a group of white feminists that, that, that go into these spaces, but they never keep that same energy about like real shit. That's like, actually happening with like real human beings in the real world when it comes to like black women in these scenarios and whether it has to do with cops or just you know other men etc i never hear these white feminists like beating down doors to defend black women's agency in these scenarios in real life never never I just I have I I don't hear the same echo. Maybe they are saying it, and it's just not getting the same uh, amplification. Speak louder. We can't hear you. And the reality is that Game of Thrones is an extreme world where extreme fuck shit happens. They got a big ass wall. Okay. Then you got the narrow sea. I mean, there's a big ass soldier that enters you into bravos everything is there's white walkers there's fucking white walkers i don't know yeah there's there's zombies y'all it's a whole zombie apocalypse (laughs) impending while motherfuckers is arguing about a seat there's a white walker dragon (laughs) i don't even know how we're gonna manage that (laughs) so you know it's like the extreme i feel like is an integral part of the show and it's an integral part of why people love it and it's just the realities of what it is. And, you know, things happen that are crazy as shit. And you never forget. You never forget. And they can, they carry on the show and they will always come back to it. For several reasons. One of which is because the North remembers. Amanda, what house are you? <laughs> what would you like to know? Let's talk about the houses. Everybody knows about the Starks. They've got a wolf on their sigil. Their words are, winter is coming. Their castle is Winterfell. They are known for being the great house of the North. And the main characters of Rob Stark, Jon Snow, Ed Stark, rest in peace. Actually, Actually Rob Stark, Stark, rest in peace. Catelyn Stark, rest in peace. Uh, Arya Stark, Sansa Stark, Rickon Stark, rest in peace. And Bran Stark are all from Winterfell. And I guess, you know, it's safe to say that they are the stronghold of the story. The Starks are known for being brave. The Starks are known for being courageous. The Starks are known for being, you know, of the North. And the North was always known as like, we part of Westeros, but we kind of got our own shit going on. They would be the Gryffindors of Game of Thrones. Then you have House Aaron. House Aaron takes place, they're rooted in the Vale. They have winged birds as their house sigil. I can't remember their house words, but they live in the Vale of Arryn, which is in the northeast of Westeros, and they're known for their castle, which has the moon door. And they're basically, their castle is like this impregnable castle where, like, what's their words? As high as honor. And that their castle is, like, super high, and, like, you can't, like, ever get to their castle because of how high it is in the mountain and like you know Tyrion was threatened to have been thrown through the moon door and the moon door is this basically like it's just this hole in the middle of the castle where they just be throwing people like eggshells after you make an omelet I mean it's just wild um the reason why they're important is that even though they may not be like uh, characters that you learn a lot about, they are important parts of the chess game of Game of Thrones in terms of determining like where people end up, determining what war- what battles are won, and um, they are known for having like a really powerful army that kind of just be keeping to themselves unless they're needed. Very important to note, though, that they also were uh, connected to House Tully, which is Catelyn Stark's family, by marriage. So, like, when you're watching Game of Thrones, all of these connections of houses and families become incredibly important to how you understand the story. 
Then you have House Greyjoy. They're over there in Pike. Pike is some weird ass shit. They're on these islands. They literally, their house words are, we do not sow. And they have a kraken on their sigil. We do not sow is literally about the fact that like, they don't do shit, but take shit. That's literally their culture. They're like, we don't like grow things. We don't like raise things. We don't mind things. You do all that and we're going to come and take your shit. That is the words of House Greyjoy. Then you have um, House Lannister. Everybody know about the Lannisters. We got Jamie, We got Cersei. Of course, we have Tyrion. And we have your own boy. Yeah. Tywin Lannister. Who is literally one of the greatest characters of all time. Like, as much as I hate Tywin Lannister, he was played so incredibly perfectly. And his storyline and just his ruthlessness is... Really a character that is going to go down, I believe, in literature history. Like, it's just, or at least in TV history, because it was just, ugh, incredible. But the Lannister words are, a Lannister always pays his debts, and they have a um, a lion as their sigil. And they're basically known for being the richest family in Westeros. They are based at Cashley Rock, and... They essentially just run shit in Westeros based on the fact that they have all this fucking bread. And they're like the Koch brothers of Westeros. They're just they're just wielding the way shit go because of their money. But their interests are rooted solely in greed and power and have nothing to do with love and compassion. Which is why Tyrion is so like weirdly situated in this family. But then you have like smaller houses... You know, like Mira and Jojen Reed, House Reed, you know, then you have like, uh, well, we also have House Tyrell, which is based in Highgarden. Marjorie Tyrell and Loras Tyrell end up being very integral characters to the story. And they are known for being literally the house that feeds Westeros. So they have all the livestock and they have all of the agriculture. And they are also the house that is, ugh. The, the, the source point of Miss Oleana Tyrell, who is one of the greatest characters also of all time. Like, she's like the woman counter to, to, to Tywin Lannister in terms of just being a motherfucking beast. A motherfucking beast. Tell Cersei I did it. I want her to know it was me. <laughs> if that means nothing to you, then I need you to watch Game of Thrones so it can mean something to you. Um, but how's Tyrell... They like they have all this ship. Their their army is trash. I mean, literally, like their sigil is a rose, so it doesn't say anything for like strength. But then you have House Bolton, who we talked about, Ramsey and fucking Roose Bolton. They have like the flayed man, which is literally the complete opposite of a goddamn rose. It's literally a man skinned alive on their house sigil. On their house sigil, I can't remember what their words are, but it's just like if you see a nigga that has his musculature exposed on a sigil, run. Run the other way. They're about some shit that you ain't about. They're about some shit that you ain't about. Okay? Then you have House Targaryen. Of course, Daenerys Targaryen. Their sigil is the three-headed dragon. They came over from Essos, which is the continent that is east of Westeros and is basically where all the brown people are. Uh, But of course, of all the brown people on Essos... Here come the Targaryens, who are essentially just Aryans uh, because they have white hair. <laughs> They're literally like the whitest white people possible. Like when you just li- when you listen to stuff like this, though, it just always makes you look at the creator and you're just like, what's, what's this, this about? about? I just feel like Khaleesi is essentially who George R.R. R. Martin would have liked to fuck. And so that's what made her be like, <laughs> it's, it's his fantasy. So we're just in his fantasy. In the books, Daenerys is supposed to be 13. In the show, she's supposed to be 15. And in the first season, yeah, she's married off to Khal Drogo, who is not 15. So, it's um, it's a lot. You got to just, like, let it go. You got to just let it go. They don't, they don't say that outwardly. But it's definitely like, okay, okay this, this is, this is, is not... not <laughs> I mean, she just she's so worldly that you you don't even consider that she could be a kid. Um, but I think that they did that on purpose as well. Long story short, these are the houses 
of Westeros that, you know, are basically like the main houses that people talk about. There's one house in particular that people don't talk about a lot, but that is actually featured quite a bit in the history of Westeros. And when you read Fire and Blood, The History of the Targaryens, 300 Years of Westeros, this is a book that George R.R. Martin put out that basically starts you at when Aegon the Conqueror took over Westeros. And it runs you down all up until we get to Robert Baratheon conquering the Targaryens. Because the Targaryens basically ruled Westeros for 300 years until Robert Baratheon, who was married to Cersei. He's the one in the season one who was really good with Ed Stark. Really cool. He was the king. He brought Ed Stark down. He is who, you know, basically uh, Joffrey and Tommen and Marcella are said to be Baratheons, but... They ain't really not because they, they mom and dad are actually brother and sister and be fucking. But that's another conversation. The other house is House Tully, which is Catelyn Tully's uh, family. And one of my favorite characters in the entire show, the Blackfish, who is, he's like a, a side character, but just like his whole MO is just like, if Bill Murray was angry. Like that's, <laughs> just picture that. That is the Blackfish. Um, and they are based in River Run. And I forgot what their house words are. But I was about to tell you all about House Martell. House Martell are based in Dorne. Now, Dorne is essentially the way that I was talking about the North and how, like, the North is all, you know, we basically do our own thing. Dorne is the same. I would say that in in uh, the American, like, in the our world, our reality, Doran would be akin to Morocco. That's like the vision of the way it's been drawn out in the show. And they're nothing like the rest of these white people on Westeros. Okay? It's honestly, it's like North America. It's like Mexico, and then you get the United States and Canada. But like you're like, oh shit, what's going on down here? Y'all got Mexico, y'all got Nicaragua, y'all got um guatemala honduras like all this is going on down here and that's essentially what dorn is all y'all got there's a whole shit going on down here and they are very much a part of the history of westeros because their house sigil is a sun with a spear through it and their house words are i'm speaking speaking about the martells who are basically the ruling house of dorn their house words are unbowed unbent unbroken Now, in the series of Game of Thrones, we don't really get a full understanding of why that is. But once you read the history, you learn that it's because when Aegon the Conqueror came with his dragons and his two sisters to conquer Westeros, he got every king that was in the Seven Kingdoms to kneel before him and declare him as their ruler, except for Dorne. Dorne, he could never get to bend the knee. Now, eventually they found peace. But they never had to bend the knee and claim him as their ruler. They were always considered the one kingdom that kept their own shit tight. Because they were unbowed, they were unbent, and they were unbroken. So when you ask me, what house am I? I'm not the Starks like everybody expects me to be. I'm not the Targaryens like everybody want to be. I'm the Martells. Because when it comes down to it, you could come with all your guns fucking blazing, but I ain't bending the fucking knee. I will remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken, and that's how I'm going to run my shit in your country. Because Westeros, basically, they're still on the land of Westeros. But they're like, yeah, that's cool. We over here doing our own thing. Come fuck with us. Or nah. And there's going to be a prequel to Game of Thrones. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be all of this shit. And I can't fucking wait. I can't fucking wait. And uh, it's just going to be great to see. And I hope, I hope that we find enough dragon glass for us all to make it through the long night to live to see it. Amanda, we need to talk about John Daenerys. Rebecca. Hi. So John and Daenerys, we do need to address John and Daenerys. They're fucking. It's It's not good. How else could it have gone? I don't know. They had to, right? They had to do it. But she's his aunt. (laughs) It's so grody. 
It's so gross. It's like really yucky. I just can't wait to see John's face when he finds out that he's a Targaryen and he's fucking his aunt. She doesn't know either, right? She's she doesn't know either, but I don't think she's going to trip because she's just like, I mean, that's how my people's been doing it. No, but that, but she rebelled against that, right? Like she was in love with Cal Drogo. Like she didn't want to fuck her brother. But she, was, she wasn't given an option to fuck her brother. Right. Viserys sold her to Cal he Drogo sold, because yeah, he, he needed sold her. Rocky to take him across the, the sea. But you think that she would have been down if he wanted that? I'm just saying, like, it wasn't far-fetched, like, yeah. in their family history. Their, I mean, parents, that was their just, parents were siblings. Yes. So. Their parents were siblings, and. I guess um, aunt and nephew is better than brother, brother and, and sister? sister. I don't know. I just, I'm just like, I just feel like Jon Snow is going to be like, can y'all kill me again? <laughs> I did it once. Can we do it again? Yeah. It's just a doozy. Yeah. People really ship them hard. It's a little weird. And it's also, yeah, like, I don't feel like we should ship them. Like, no, they made gross. a mistake. <laughs> they made a mistake. You know, like, I don't want this to continue. So are they going to, like, live happily ever after? Is she going to have a baby? Because you know she's about to get pregnant, right? You know that's what's going to happen, Rebecca. Look at your face. Is she even, is she she's even, not supposed to is be she even to. fertile? She's not, right? This, this is Westeros, West baby. If she couldn't get pregnant off of Khal Drogo. And, she did get pregnant off of Khal Drogo. But, Oh, she right. Gave but, up oh, right. Her baby she gave up her baby to but, save Khal Drogo. Right, and that's why she's barren now. Yes. So she's cursed. Correct. So you think this would break the curse? Absolutely. Because he's a Targaryen. Yeah. And that's the, that's she can only get pregnant by a Targaryen. But she can only get pregnant again by a Targaryen. I think that might be the what it ends up being. I need to actually watch it again because they always tell you there's foreshadowing throughout this whole shit. Aliana Tyrell is at the wedding of Joffrey and says... Imagine killing some, killing a man at his own wedding, referring to the yeah, red wedding. He's yes. like, I mean, giving men another reason to hate weddings altogether. And it's like, <laughs> bitch, you better kill that Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. They have good chemistry. I feel bad saying that. <laughs> I just feel like their connection to each other was like made so rapid. Yeah. And it just made me uncomfortable that like Jon Snow would fall for somebody that quickly. Get the fuck out of here. I mean, well, I guess he no. fell for regret that he quickly. He fell for regret that quickly. He just falls hard, you know. He does. He's a ro- he's romantic. Well, he's also got a center of gravity much closer to the earth. Yes. So he falls <laughs> faster. Are you calling him short? <laughs> she literally is like, I can't yeah. be with him. He's little. He's too little for me. Yeah. And uh, you know, she's like, also little. He's like little. Like li- Daenerys literally says, "I can't be with him. He's too yeah. little." <laughs> But then and I will say that like I didn't sway her that much. But I become a lot more receptive to little guys. Yeah, just their little bodies, <sighs> and we're just like intertwining. Like I used it's to be really compact. all about like you got to be so tall. I used to be like I wanted to be someone tall like the hound, and I gotta climb the limbs. Yeah, and now I'm just like no, I like a little body too. Yeah, comedian Pat Regan likes to say he likes short guys because he likes to see the whole body in one in one screenshot. <laughs> they fit in the whole frame. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. And, you know, she eventually appreciated it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know nothing, Jon Snow. He knows loves him. What he doesn't know is that it's his auntie. What he doesn't know is going to kill him. <laughs> you must rewatch Game of Thrones if you haven't watched it because there are scenes that you didn't even know were your favorite scenes. You know, there's stuff that happens where you're just like, oh my God, like that was way better this time than the last time. And there's shit that you can't watch again because you just can't do it to yourself. Watching Jon Snow be murdered again was... uh, Watching the Red Wedding was... Ah! Just... I can't. Watching the killing of Sansa's direwolf took me out in a way that I did not think was going to happen. And every time you're like, I already know that they're going to be safe or I already know they're going to die or I already know they're going to get raped. Like, you know these things, but you're still just like, oh shit, that really went down. You watch the Battle of the Bastards again and you're just like, Rickon's going to make it this time. Rickon's absolutely going to make it this time. This time Rickon's going to, no! You're like, Hodor's going to make it this time. Yeah, they're going to make it this time. Hodor's going to make it this time. Hold the door! You're like, yeah, Arya's never going to get out of this. I mean, she's been stabbed several times and and jumped into a river. She's never going to make it this time. She's never going to make it this time. 
And next thing you know, here she is with Needle about to fight a bitch in the dark because she has trained to fight in the dark. But this bitch ain't trained to fight in the dark. And that's how we know she gonna win. I bet y'all didn't figure that out. Did y'all know that's what's happened? Remember when she was blind, this bitch was beating her up all crazy. So she knows how to fight in the dark. So when the bitch comes to try and kill her and take her face for the many-faced god, she then slices the candle and it's like, oh, we done, we done changed the game now. Because I know how to fight in the darks. And you don't. <laughs> a girl has a name. It's Arya Stark of Winterfell. And I'm going home. I was about to end it there because it's really like, that's legit my favorite line in the whole show. When she says that shit, it's like, okay, wait, what? And then my favorite scene in the entire series is when Daenerys Targaryen is in Slaver's Bay. She's about to buy the Unsullied. And dude has been talking trash about her and Valyrian the whole fucking time. And then she starts speaking to him and Valyrian. And he's like, oh, shit. She knew this language the whole time. And then she's like, yeah, yeah motherfucker. motherfucker. The Kill the masters! And then she turns to him. And she's got Drogon flying overhead. And she says, Dracarys. She burns that motherfucker. To a crisp. My favorite scene in the whole series. Whole situation. Literally in the whole series. I cannot wait to see what happens. But I do know that the Dovayeri have proven to be one fine army. And by fine, I mean literally fine as shit. All them unsullied is fine as shit. I And, and while we're talking, I ain't seen one Dothraki that couldn't get it. I'll, I'll meet, meet you across, across the great, great grass seat. Amanda, who will sit atop the Iron Throne? I know I have a very uh, unpopular theory, but I think it's going to be Tyrion. I do. I think it's going to be Tyrion. I think we're going to have a lot of like surprises in these last episodes that are just like, wait, what? I think there's a possibility that Tyrion is a Targaryen. And I think there's a possibility that basically the fact that he's a Targaryen, Tywin Lannister knew this the whole goddamn time, and that's why he hated him so much, and also why Jaime was told to kill the Mad King. Because I just have this feeling that the Mad King somehow got Tywin Lannister's wife, and I just, I don't know, there's something in there that just doesn't seem right to me, and I feel like that's something that could be possible. I have a feeling that Tyrion will set the Iron Throne, because I don't think Daenerys will eventually, when she gets it, I don't think she'll want to keep it. I think what will happen is Daenerys Targaryen will end up being pregnant and having a baby, and because a man wrote this show, it'll be like, well, I can't rule and be a mom, and... That's how that will happen. I swear to you. I really do feel that like it's going to be like, well, I want to have this baby and raise this baby. I think it's just more important for me to raise this baby than to try and raise Westeros. I know that I fought all of this and I killed a bunch of people and I brought everybody over here to really get this throne. But yeah, I'm going to go over here and breastfeed. That's what I, I honestly think that's what they're going to end up doing. Instead of like, but I can breastfeed on the Iron Throne, which is what I would love to see. But I just feel like they're not going to do it. It's too poetic. It's too poetic. Like, yes, the army of the dead is going to come. And we got to deal with that. But who's going to sit the Iron Throne at the end? First of all, who's going to still be alive at the end? I'm pretty sure if, if this was old Game of Thrones, Cersei would kill Jaime. But because it's new Game of Thrones, it's Reddit Game of Thrones, Jaime's going to end up killing Cersei. I, I think it's going to be that. Um... If this was old Game of Thrones, Daenerys would not make it out of this. Daenerys and Jon would end up dying like Romeo and Juliet in the flames. But this is new Game of Thrones, so they're going to end up happily ever fucking after. Um, I think Arya Stark and Gendry are going to end up together, whether it's old Game of Thrones or new Game of Thrones. <laughs> Rebecca is excited. Yes. yes. And I do think that um, Varys is going to survive because he's a survivor. Uh, Sansa is going to become the Warden of the North. And, yeah. I think that's really where it's going to be. Samuel Tarly is going to head back up to Castle Black and be the maester at Castle Black. Um, but the real question is, like, who's going to be the one character that doesn't make it out that we're like, <gasps> it's new Game of Thrones. 
So I worry that they're going to let all these motherfuckers live. Beric Dondarrion is back with his flaming sword. That's cool to see. But who's not going to make it? If I had to choose, maybe, um, I don't know if Jon Snow is going to make it. Who do you think, Rebecca? Who's not going to make it? I don't know because I don't, I don't want to put it out in the universe. <laughs> it's already done, so there's nothing <laughs> to be said about it, right? But, I, I mean, Cersei definitely won't make it, I don't no, think. No, Cersei's not going to make no, it. No, because she's, she's done too many bad things. Well, I mean, but in the world of Game of Thrones, doing bad things doesn't right. mean that you die. What about but Bran? We're, but we're in Reddit Game of Thrones. What about Bran? What's going to happen with Bran? The Three-Eyed Raven, he's going to make it. He's going to make it. I don't know if I think Tyrion's going to be on the Iron Throne. Okay. I think he'll definitely make it to the end because he's George R.R. R. Martin's favorite character. He said that from the beginning. He's definitely not going to die. Okay. I, I, don't know if he, I don't know if he said he's definitely not going to die, but he said from the beginning he's his favorite character. Okay. I don't think he's going to kill him because he sees himself in him. I think Bronn is going to get killed. Yeah. Because he's been kind of this like... I love Bronn. Yeah, we love Bronn of the Blackwater. But what I about think the Hound? I think the Hound's going to make it. Yeah, I think so too because he was... Are Missandei and Grey Worm going to make it? I, I, there's a Vulture article talking about um, they interviewed a bunch of um, sex therapists to ask them what they think if they think their relationship is viable because he's castrated. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, people are optimistic. I mean, she seemed not bothered whatsoever. That scene was, like, She romantic. was like, I mean, yeah. he worked his hands. He and uh, other things. Other things. Yeah, so I, be- I believe in them. I want them to make it, but who knows? Is Arya going to make it? Yes. Is Gendry going to make it? I hope so. I love Gendry. Is Sansa going to make it? Yes, I. She has to. She's because she's been through so much. I feel like she will make it. So who's not going to make it? Fuck. Um. Is 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 Davos Seaworth going to make it? No. Is Theon going to make it? I don't think Theon's going to make it. Is Yara going to make it? I don't think Yara's going to make it. Anyone who's listening, do you hear how many fucking characters I just named? Because, well, because this show has a bajillion characters. Because the first half of season seven, like you said, like no one died. So it means a lot of people are going to die. I feel like a lot of people are going to die. A lot of people are going to die. And I wonder if all of these motherfuckers ain't going to make it. The mountain's for sure dying. The hound has to kill the mountain. Correct. The hound has to kill the I'm so excited for that scene. Yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah. So basically what we've discovered is that we don't know anything. and uh, But what we do know is that We've had a great time watching this show. It's been an exciting part of pop culture. If you're somebody who just simply loves pop culture, then Game of Thrones really is just like a part of this world that has become a part of our world. And it's just sometimes fun to get an escape from the fucked upness of our world to go into the fucked upness of another world. And I, for one, even as we're recording, I can't even keep it together. I'm so excited to watch this final season. And I have completed my watch aside from the last episode which I will watch on Saturday and um, you know I just I appreciate HBO for putting together such an incredible series and something that you know all of us can you know be attached to and it's just like what a wonderful time to be alive to get to see you know something so well done and something so uh, well thought out be taken to a whole other level of creativity and artistry so To everyone who, like me, has survived the long night of two years without Game of Thrones. It is our time. We have to come together. We have to keep spoilers from each other. And we have to survive the long night. Because the real fight is not for the Iron Throne. The real fight is against the dead. Volamogules. Starbanks Avenue, a podcast. A podcast network.